0: Brew Brew Podcast was recorded at the Bintani Trade Day held on 24 February 2023. This is a trade show podcast in which Sam Bethuen from Bintani runs through the new Safbrew BRA strain of yeast from Fermentis. Sam has had the opportunity to test the strain on his pilot system and in commercial breweries and talks about the specs of Safbrew BRA and his experiences. We hope that this helps you in your breweries achieve flavorful funkier
1: beers. My name's Sam, Uh, I work with Bintani in technical sales and support. Um, My background's in brewing, I know a number of people um, within the room and a number of new faces, so um, as Phil has mentioned, we really appreciate this and obviously regardless of the time of year, taking time away from your breweries and production facilities um, should be a value to yourselves, it's a a tough business and we appreciate the time that you've given up to come down here and in return we hope uh, we can provide something that you can learn from, enjoy yourselves and, uh, and take away and implement one or two things in your brew that you might find interesting and uh, be of some help within the, uh, within the industry. So uh, I've been asked slash stitched up to uh, have a bit of a talk uh, today um, uh, about a new product from Fermentus, which uh, I think is a really innovative and interesting product that I've had the opportunity to brew with on my little 70 litre grain father on the side here, uh, as well as uh, doing some trials with some uh, brewery friends of ours to have a look at this, uh, this new strain and to see, to see what, it, uh, what it offers. So uh, let's get started. That works. I was using the official Bintani new slide deck, which is, a new thing for us, so apologies if things are a little bit small. Um, If there's anything that you can't see or read, uh, please put a hand up, or otherwise I can send you through uh, this amazing information that was uh, put together very professionally by myself. Um, So, BR8, what is it? Uh, This is a product that is actually the world's first dried bretonomyces strain. Um, So a strain uh, that we'll talk in a little bit about, but something that's not too easy to control by itself or to isolate uh, and to have something available uh, in a dried form has presented some challenges but presents some uh, opportunities for the brewers as well. We're gonna have a a quick chat about Brett, a quick little product overview of what BR8 is, why you might want to use Brett or consider it uh, and why versus a different type of bretnamices you may consider BR8 as a product. A little bit on how to use. Um, This is a a strain that within certain breweries has a different past and reputation. Uh, So we've got some guidance from Fermentus as manufacturers on their intended use cases for it and to provide a bit of practical experience with that. To have some practical chat and honest evaluation, Uh, if he makes it here in time, hopefully uh, it's Nick Sandry from Molly Rose Brewing who's uh, very kindly done a bottle conditioned version of uh, one of the beers today, we'll get up and have a bit of a chat. Uh, I'll have a quick chat through some of my primary fermentation uh, co-pitched information with that, and uh, a chat from one of our other brewers that's done some keg conditioning versions with the Brett as well. and have a quick overview of some of the recipes that we've got on today. So we've got five different brett beers uh, on today at the bars with different types of fermentation, pitch rates and styles to give a bit of an overview about what this strain can do Uh, and happily try and answer any questions. Uh, Within this presentation, I have... uh Stolen's the wrong word, but I've taken a couple of slides from Fermentis' own decks on this. Um, we do have the uh, amazing Fermentis team uh, over on the side of the room. Um, We've got the Asia Pacific Beer technical manager, Simon Jean-Pierre, uh, with his hand over here, who... Uh, is a lovely, a lovely, lovely fellow. Um, I've had a good opportunity to chat a little bit with emails and uh, talks with a wealth of knowledge around anything beer-related and fermentation. So if you've got any questions, please feel free to hit up Simon. Uh, and a couple of new starters who have just joined in the last little bit, we've got our Dr. Tanya Rutan, who's uh, over here. He's got to come from a great background, uh, in, particularly in wine, yeast fermentation, and particularly around thiol interaction with yeast um, from the Marlborough region in New Zealand. Um, incredibly talented uh, and technically minded. And we also uh, got uh, Anthea Rotorita, <laughs> who's uh, joined as well in the last couple of months. So um, I know many of you from, from years back uh, knew and loved Ruth, whose name uh, still continues around within craft circles. And I think, finally, Fermentus have uh, you know, a, a staffing that may be in some ways comparable. I think Ruth's, Ruth, if you know Ruth, you know what I'm talking about. But uh, it's super, super exciting to have uh, some new technical staff within the Fermentus team. All right. You'll notice that the fermenter slides are all nice and animate in really well. So that's a, that's a nice little touch that they've been able to do. So um, what is Uh I'll give a quick overview on this. As I said, my background is not as a, as a microbiologist and that sort of thing, more on the practical brewing side. So if I don't know, I please, uh, please feel free to pull me up and we can find out some more information. But basically, a, a non-conventional yeast species uh, that has been around for a long time. Brit and myces actually means British, and myces as as fungus. So basically a British fungus, um, a strain that loves to exist in wood and barrels and other things, as well as in a a number of other um, circumstances. As you can see, it itself uh, can be isolated from a number of different sources, fruits, uh, wood, other things. And while present in a number of different styles, commonly found in a lot of English ales, Uh, also Belgian uh, wild and spontaneous fermented beers, Lambic Goose, and also uh, German porter beers, randomly. Um, I didn't know a lot about German porter beers until I was studying there and asking one of their microbiology professors the difference between uh, porters and stouts, and his straight-up answer was porters always have brett. And I'd never heard about that, but I was adamant within German porter beers. At a low level, always have a Brett as a characteristic in it, so uh, in there. So uh, what is it? It's a microorganism that has a unique fermentation pathway, has some similarities to our Saccharomyces cerevisiae yeast, but does some other things that our brewer's yeast can't do uh, in relation to specific phenols, esters, and aroma compounds. We won't go too deep into that, but we'll have a little bit of a chat around what that uh, looks like. And a little bit of an overview saying that the the strain is more geared towards craft brewers uh, for novel productions of flavors. So with anything in the fermentation space, as with all brewing ingredients, our main goal as sort of craft brewers is often to look towards innovative and uh, new and interesting flavors. So the sales pitch part. Safbru BR8, Uh, this is an isolated Brett Brux species. So from an isolated strain uh, from the Seine Valley uh, in Belgium, so from the area where uh, a number of different strains, particularly for your goose lambic sort of styles, with the wild microflora around uh, exist, has been isolated from there. Uh, one of the main things within this strain that got me the first time it was presented to me is obviously, like with different uh, Cerevisio strains, within the BRETT realm, there's a number of different fermentation profiles and strains that exist. This strain has been chosen particularly in its uh, use of sugar profiles, and the main call out for me was that it does not uh, assimilate dextrins. So this is a huge part, I feel, for some of the stability within BRETT for your primary condition or bottle conditioning. With your residual load of fermentables or dextrins within the bottle, this strain cannot continue to go and evolve and produce CO2, which changes the risk profile uh, a bit around what your risk tolerance is for use of uh, one of these strains in the brewery. Uh, From development, it has been selected uh, for its use in secondary conditioning, be it bottle or keg conditioning as a sort of initial, uh, initial use sort of case. That said, we've done a lot of experimentation around with some co-ferment and 100% Brett primary pitches as well. That's sort of change and expand the flavor profile available. One of the uh, notes that was looked for within this strain was some typical Brett strains. And when we get to have a chance to uh, taste through with these, I think the... Strain that has been selected does a great job at a, call it a a neutral brett profile. So, a a little bit of horse, a little bit of leather, nothing that's completely crazy phenolic or over the top. Um, There's introduction of a little bit of uh, oxygen as well, not a huge level of acidity from that realm. Just a really nice brett footprint that over time will develop and age and intensify uh, if using secondary conditioning. We want to make sure it's robust to re-fermentation, that when we're putting it in at the end of our fermentation with a lower pH, high CO2, it can still do its thing in a reasonable time frame to get us product to market, and also to have no off flavors, so some of those other acids and flavors that Brett can throw out and flavor phenols that might not be desired within it. So, uh, yeah, that's a bit of the overview of the product. And again, as why well, it's highlighted in red. Uh, that assimilation of dextrins is, for me, the, the huge call-out, so it's not one that can chew away forever in your brewery. So why Brett? Bear eight, and hopefully this slide will work. You might see over some time what's going on with this. Brett is actually going to slowly evolve and change on the slide. So we're looking with what we might start with from our cerevisiae yeast, and particularly on the top, if we're using a phenolic uh, strain that might have some clove medicinal notes in it. A lot of the cerevisiae strains also have the uh, the. Um, the esters of the sort of banana, fruity, rose characteristics, Uh, and bound terpenes, some can and can't release some of these terpenes in different sort of ways. So as we sort of see, and it comes and changes, what we're doing with the BR8 slowly over time, be it that or any other Brett strain, is changing some of the phenolic compounds. The Brett itself can change uh, some of the the vinyl phenols, so 4VG and that sort of thing, which is the clove medicinal sort of notes in that. It can actually modify those more into that animal leather, um, earthy sort of tones as well. That's, as number one, probably the primary driver of the BR8 strain, to have a bit of a phenolic interaction and change the profile on that. It can, in other use cases, produce a different range of ethyl esters as opposed to our banana esters. Um, So like ethyl hexanoate with our red apple, ethyl, I think it's octanoate with some pineapple and different sort of flavor profiles there. Particularly if used in in primary fermentation, a lot of those pineapple esters come out a little bit more. And to also release some of our bound terpene flavors within our uh, hop compounds for more rose and floral elements that can come out. This little slide, I thought uh, on the right, was just worth putting up. Um, I got to go and hear a Brett presentation five or six years ago with uh, Chad Jacobson from Crooked Stave, who did his PhD in Brett and had a really interesting talk about it and a number of different strange, strange fermentation conditions but I thought this was a great expression of what can be achieved within this world of Brettanomyces. So BR8 focuses uh, particularly a little bit more around the sort of leather animal blanket sort of characteristics at a clean level, but Brett, we can see clove, we can see um, that medicinal, the bubblegum characteristic as well in there, some cheese, some isovaleric, some horse, some grape. It's a really huge profile to work with depending on your pitch rates, fermentation conditions, and other strains that you might have working with it. A quick how to use and time frames. Just as an overview, the recommendation before this product is as a secondary conditioning. Uh, So we want to have basically a beer fully fermented if we want to use it for secondary conditioning. The Recommended pitch rate for basically all standard beers up to about 8.5% ABV is the sweet range for this. Uh, To ensure complete fermentation, with the maltotriose-positive yeast. So if we're dosing this for re we want to know the level of uh, sugars that can be consumed for the level of carbonation produced. Uh, we wouldn't recommend this with a strain like S33 or maltotriose-negative strains, because the brett will slowly tick away. Uh, if it's calculated in, OK, but uh, if not, we can lead to an instance of overcarbonation with it. One part as well following your primary fermentation, do we remove the cerevisiae yeast and whatnot? I actually had that question to Simone to try and find out, um, because obviously if we've still got our yeast in there. It will do a lot of the uh, fermentation, even when the Brett is pitched, of our dosing sugars. So it can be used either way with that. Even if the sugars and carbonation is produced by the primary yeast, the Brett will still interact over time and change the profile of that beer. So that one's really up to you. Uh, the dosing, or by the end of fermentation as well, a lot of your yeast will be dropped out if it's not filtered or centrifuged out that sort of thing as well. So uh, you can leave it in there or dose completely with the Brett. Uh, rehydrate in, add our sugar as our, as our uh, source of uh, sugar for carbonation to recarbonate, and at that sort of 10 grams a litre uh, of sugar, we'll provide about an additional five grams a litre of CO2. So if we know our CO2 concentration of our beer post ferment we can dose in our sugar dosage to have an accurate level of carbonation. Pitch the beer at our conditioning temperatures, recommended between 15 and 25 degrees Celsius, and allow the beer to condition uh, and carbonate over a period of one month to three months plus. Uh, the recommendation also, once the product is chilled, to at least give it a two or three week time to round out the flavours and all settle down once the product is chilled out. So uh, that's as useful as a refirmentation model. Also, for primary fermentation, given that bread itself can have some slower uptake on a primary fermentation if used exclusively, recommendation is uh, to co-pitch at 50 grams a hectolitre, which is a sort of standard pitch rate with a lot of the other fermenter strains. Um, And with the maltotriose positive yeast, again with this one, if we give the Brett its time, uh, it will go through completely and be able to chew it through. But if we want to have it in a sort of more reasonable, practical time frame, uh, we'd want to have a maltotriose positive yeast that can consume uh, that sugar fraction as well, um, so ferment and age as required. This was just a a little bit of uh, information from Fermentis' sensory technical department on the characteristics of Brett in uh, aging the beer between one and three months. Which I found a little bit interesting is this is uh, an analytical timing. So this is, I think, using the the, uh, gas chromatograph to basically measure these levels versus the relative uh, agreed threshold for these flavours. So at an odour unit of one, that's kind of your sensory level perception of these products. So analytically, we've seen within three months, basically all the sort of clove medicinal, the vinyl, thi- thiols, um, vinyl phenols, I should say, have reduced down to next to zero. And we've got that change into the ethyl phenols, um, which is more of that horse barnyardy sort of characteristic uh, between the two different, uh, two different types, ethyl phenol and ethyl guaiacol. A little bit of a change after three months, analytically, we can see it jumping up a little bit. So that's our analytical from the machines. Down the bottom, we've got the sensory analysis, which is from the sensory board. So a little bit different, even though we're seeing these high levels from the analytics, that within one month, we're sort of getting up towards that Brett imprint at a a low level. And then within sort of three months, it's really getting more towards that presence of Brett in there. So a little bit of guidance towards up to that sort of three months point. And this will continue to go for three or six months as well. Have you seen this guy? His Brutus is Brett beer. If you haven't seen it, check out the ad on YouTube for this product. It is absolutely ridiculous in a good way. Uh, very, very, very French and very uh, much talking about the, uh, the, the life experiences you can have when you use this product. So I can only speak for it so much, but you can be screaming on a beach into the wind if you use it. So it's true. All right. Uh, practical experience uh, and, and evaluation piece. I'll cut off a bit. This is just, just to put up as a, as a ferment graph for a couple of beers uh, that I've done with the Brett, which are on our bar out here. Did two beers with a sort of a, a saison sort of palate in mind, a 35 IBU, pretty basic sort of ale, ale grist, and wanted to try out a couple of different things here. So the beer number one uh, was, this, uh, was a sort of Belgian-style saison, using fermented strain BE 134, which is a diastatic phenolic Belgian strain for really dry beers with a lot of clove sort of esters in it in there. I was keen to use that to see how that would translate into the brett footprint when they're changed into more of that uh, barnyardy sort of character. Uh, And the other beer was the same wort, uh, but with uh, USO5, just as a neutral ale strain. And with that wort, we did a dry hop as well, to see how that hop interaction would work, with a bit more of that bound bound terpene release as well. That was dry hopped with uh, Aroma hops, we saw uh, Tom from Glacier Hops Ranch earlier, and uh, Superdelic, new release from New Zealand hops. Uh, So both of those are out on the bar here. We've got about 20 litres because it was my little kit, but feel free to have a try. And good or bad, let us know what you think. what surprised me a little bit with that, particularly on the Saison strain, was those Belgian Saison phenolics really evident within the first couple of days, uh, and much in that sort of clove, nice, neutral Saison strain. But then from about day three or four, starting to see the emergence of that brett footprint, footprint through. Um, these were fermented at 25 and 22 degrees Celsius, so a little bit warm, uh, and both within two or three days had sort of done their primary fermentation. They were a seven-day ferment, at which point, at that temperature, the brett footprint I felt was quite elevated and at a good point to chill the beers out Um, and it was a pretty quick primary ferment so that was interesting Uh, and since then they've had about four months conditioning cold uh, but have still been been pretty good Uh, so yeah Uh, not bad We've got another base Scotch Ale out here, and this was just to report a little bit from another another brewery um, to have a, have a go at it. And so not uh, too much uh, saying, but this was Boat Rocker, who do a lot of different bread beers and that sort of thing. We wanted to give them a, a chance to explore. Um, and they used it in their wee Heavy. So they've got a base beer with a, with a high residual sugar content, malty and full bodied with pleasant aroma. They actually dosed it uh, in two dosing rates at a moderate and a high level. Um, we've got the higher level keg on here today. Um, and they said they were happy with the, the aroma and pleasant. That was just after five weeks at ambient conditioning. Uh, and so their feedback was a success uh, for keg dose beer. Carbonation's good, pours well with a flow control tap. Um, and yeah, just saying that they found some interest of it within that sort of strain. And then finally, I had in the little one, Nick. Question mark. I wasn't sure if he'd be here, but he is. So um, we're we'll going nick at, uh, at Molly Rose. Uh, we had a chat and decided he would have a, have a crack at this in a bottle conditioned version uh, using one of their base beers I love, uh, When Life Gives You Lemons. So a uh, very flavour forward uh, citrus farmhouse style ale, um, which we should have actually passed out some cans. But we'll have a bit of time that we have them both to uh, have a taste of side by side. So guys, would you be able to help give out some uh, glasses and cans, and people can pour them themselves just down the rows. But uh, Nick, if you're happy to have a chat for two seconds while we, we taste some beers, it'll be, be lovely. I guess uh, what uh, when we're having a bit of a taste side by side, and even if this is afterwards we run over a bit, we can still go just have the, have the taste. I guess uh, it was a bit of a limited time frame, but I guess what I was going to ask was... Uh, sort of led you maybe to the to the choice of beer for dosing and you do other bottle conditioned sort of versions of a number of your products whether there was uh similarities or differences versus some of the other conditioning you're doing with it
2: yeah absolutely so we dosed at about 20 grams uh a heck uh so a little bit a little bit higher than the bottle conditioning so a little bit up. I decided to choose lemons because we had it on hand at the time. And instead of pulling something else out of a barrel and then trying to bottle it and then having all of these other competing brettes and flavours and sourness, decided to use our our core range farmhouse ale, which has got a lot of kind of farmhouse character to it already. Clove, phenol, spice, earthiness. Uh, So it's actually something I've been thinking about for a while is bottle conditioning and canned conditioning with this beer as it was to try and lift the characters. So when you came along with the Brett, I thought, this is a great idea to bang it in a bottle and throw in some Brett. So we did that in December. So, I mean, it's had two-ish months uh, to kind of develop. And I tasted it back in January as well. Uh, so it's definitely developed from there, but I think most of the work was done in about the first six weeks. Yep. So it it worked really quickly. And... In comparison, so what we did was actually carbonate the beer to about 4 grams, uh, four grams per litre CO2 and then just dosed enough sugar to get another 1.5 and the bread. So it did a little bit of work in the bottle but not heaps. Um, so we, you, you'll taste the beers and the When Life Gives You Lemons is quite bright and it's quite citrusy and lemony and uh, vibrant. It's got a like, a little bit of a herbal, dry hop time character to it too. Uh, in comparison, I think the, When Life Gives You Brett, there's uh, a lot more leaning towards the leathery forest floor. Uh, I wouldn't say funk. I don't necessarily get funk myself. Um, but it's definitely got more of that earthy, farmhouse, uh, fresh-cut hay
1: character. Nice, it's a beautiful, beautiful beer. Actually, without having the, um, the base beer, one thing I like on the flavour of it is kind of something of almost like rose lavender yep. kind of thing. Is that more from Brett, you think, or is that part of the base beer?
2: I think, I think that could be secondary product from maybe the, the interaction. Because there's dry hops with some modern hops, so I think maybe they are being developed further on by the Brett, and also maybe the, the play of... Because it's, it's a complex beer when life gives you lemons. You've got lemon zest and lemon juice with... A fruity farmhouse beer and also dry hop. So it's really hard to tell what's giving you what character, even in the base beer. Uh, And then with the Brett thrown in on top, it's even harder to figure out what's happened where. I think something that's really cool in this one too, I just cracked a fresh bottle of it out there and had a taste. And the texture of the beer, it's developed this creaminess that you get from long-aged Brett beers, so it's got this beautiful kind of nutty creaminess. Uh, bottle conditioning helps that, obviously, normally, but I think the Brett has contributed a little bit of extra kind of, I don't know, pizzazz to the, to the mouthfeel.
1: Awesome. Cool. Well, yeah, um, we'll have a chat, and maybe uh, at the end, once we have had a chance to go through, we can pass around a, a mic for some feedback, but I... Yeah. Um, Really, really appreciate the beer and tasting it first time on stage is always, uh, always, always good fun, but uh, as I don't need to pretend with your beers. It's uh, amazing. You do a great job, so
2: thank you so much. Thanks, mate. And if anyone has any
1: questions, feel free to pop up and say hi. Sweet. Thanks so much, Nick. So as a bit of an overview just on what we have, if you did, would like to try something with uh, the BR8 in it today, uh, we have uh, Nick's bottle conditioned uh, farmhouse ale, which is up the ABV a little bit, at 4.6%, we've got a conditioning time of three months, also with a control and then we've got the, the base beer as well, as well there to try. Um, we have a key conditioned version of a scotch ale uh, on here, which is uh, out on our sort of brett bar on this sort of side, five weeks uh, in there. It was a 6.5% base uh, Scotch Ale wee Heavy that's then uh, had a brett treatment uh, at about 16 grams, a hectolitre equivalent. Uh, We've also got some cans of that out there as well if you'd like to try the base. Uh, those couple of beers that we've done in our little kit out here is the co-primary ferment, uh, and then also another one because brewers will do what they want to do. Um, one of the brewers we shared it with wanted to do uh, brett propagation. So because of uh, the release timing on that, decided to try and propagate up some brett from the packs in it there. Uh, one thing which we were talking about with this sort of beer as well, it does change a little bit in that the any background cerevisiae or that is normally dominant over the brett. So when you're propagating it up on those sugar sources, the balance of the different sort of... Uh, the balance of different microorganisms does change a bit uh, with there, so keeping that in mind, but as yeah, 100% uh, propagated, fermented uh, 8.1% hoppy brett ale, so um, that's another good run out on the bar here as well. And I think we're sort of on time, I was just going to throw it over for any questions or feedback, if anyone had uh, about that. As an overall show of hands, on uh, the Has everyone had a chance to get the BRR, uh, the breaded version of the beer yet, or is it still the standard one? No, so no one has any feedback because I haven't had it yet, so it's, it's good, it's great. <laughs> but in the interest of, sort of going on, we'll keep that passing through and around. Have we got the bottles going around? Ah, cool, so Seamus and a few others are cruising around at the moment, so please feel free to enjoy uh, and have a, have a lovely beer with that one and uh, unless anyone has anything else, come and see myself or the Fermentus team later on and we'll be happy to have a chat or just try some great beers with you and, um, and see. Uh, just before I wrap up, I just wanna say a huge Thanks, as we sort of said, for everyone's time and coming down to the brewers that have produced beers for today. Uh, we wanted to try and make this, obviously, showcase of new and novel ingredients. So um, we've got about 20 beers between cans and on draft that are hopefully showing things that either are new in the market, have been used in a different way or something to sort of provoke some thought uh, and interest with it. Uh, there's a couple of favourites as well, one that was a, a late addition uh, featuring a New Zealand hop beer that we had at Ballarat Beer Festival, we tasted last weekend. I've got my little cup down there that I thought was amazing. So if you're looking something lower ABV, um, featuring Nectaron from New Zealand Hops uh, on our sort of pale ale IPA bar here at 3.4%, definitely give that one a go um, if you're looking to pace yourself throughout the day. Otherwise, I'll hand over to whoever's next and thank you so much. Cheers.
0: Thank you to everyone at home, at work and on the go for listening to this Brew Pro podcast. If you enjoyed this content, we would appreciate it if you could rate and review the podcast in your app of choice. This helps listeners in the brewing industry find the show organically. If you have any questions, comments or episode ideas or just want to get involved, head to our website, brewsnews.com.au. We love hearing from you all.